today on Mother Mayhem. You start to notice all of the ways that you've made yourself smaller or less than. Welcome back to Mother Mayhem, a narcissistic abuse recovery podcast for daughters. Hi, I'm your host, Heather Gray, and I'm so glad you're continuing this conversation with me. I'm pretty deliberate about the word continuing for this episode and for the next couple of episodes, because as I talk to you about what it means to be the daughter of a narcissistic mother and to start your journey towards narcissistic abuse recovery and a better relationship with yourself and a better relationship with other people, I really am trying to be quite deliberate in the order that I present the material, mostly so it doesn't overwhelm you, but also too so it can give you a clear path towards recovery. It's always my hope that people who are having these conversations with themselves are engaged in their own therapy, doing their own work. Perhaps you have a coach or a mentor or somebody you're doing this work with, but I do know that a lot of you are listening to this show and you're doing this all on your own. I think I might have mentioned it in my first episode with you when I went and looked at all of the material that was out there between social media and self-help books and YouTube videos and all of the places where people are talking about narcissistic abuse and narcissistic abuse recovery. The organization is really spotty. People are talking about things that might be clickbait worthy, attention seeking, what the general public might want. I know a lot of you come to the, this conversation wanting help with perfectionism or boundary setting to eliminate and reduce people pleasing, to improve your relationships with yourself, to help you have better relationships with other people. And all of those things are really important. And we're going to be diving into that in this show. But I'm really working hard to be specific about the order so that you can organize this for yourself so as to not become overwhelmed. That being said, one of the things I have to do is introduce you probably a little bit earlier than I thought I was going to have to, to a concept and a tenant that I really hold to be quite sacred in the work that I do with folks. And that's the idea of transparent communication. When we dive deeper into it as a concept and as a skill to do, I'll break it down for you and talk to you about it further. But when I talk about transparent communication, what I'm referring to is learning how to communicate with people so you can tell them very clearly what it is you want them to think so that you can stop worrying about what it is they think. I think a lot of times people hold back in their communication and they don't say what they really think because they're afraid of being misunderstood or they don't know where the conversation is going to take them. So they don't actually communicate as transparently as they could. And as a result, the relationship is impacted. I think I'm going to do a whole podcast episode about that at some point. But for today, I think I have to model it for you because I have to take you back to the beginning of the show and where it came to me as an idea because in recent days and weeks as I've been preparing the show and outlining it, I have myself, I guess it's fair to say I've been worrying a little bit too much about being too perfect for all of you. This conversation is really important to me and I really want to get it right. But I think one of the things that happened when I started to get really specific about the framework and the steps and the sections and the nuance to it 
is that I started putting incredible pressure on myself to get it right, to sound like the expert, to earn your trust, to be detail-oriented, to be super professional. And in that, I created the first two episodes. And I got to be honest with you that like sometimes I just want to go back and erase them and start over. I'm not erasing them and I'm not starting over because I do kind of think done is better than perfect, but also too as a way to model for all of you that you, we do the best we can with the tools we have at our disposal. But for me, I had a podcast before several years ago and I, I did an advice show about business mindset for small business owners and online business owners and it was an advice show. And if I'm really honest, I didn't take it or myself that seriously. I recorded it using the Anchor app. I'm using the Anchor app for this show too, but I just literally walked into a closet and recorded my show. And I didn't have to think about it. I talked off the cuff. I never had a script. I looked at the question that somebody submitted and then I just kind of riffed on it. When I decided I wanted to tackle this topic, and I wanted to talk specifically about childhood trauma and its impact on adult women, I think I started taking myself too seriously. I worked so hard to earn your trust that I think I started acting like somebody who's not me. I actually mentioned that to a client the other day when I was first trying to build trust with her. I said, you know, like when I first got to know you, you probably saw this too. I was trying too hard. And I think when I look back at these first two episodes of this conversation I'm trying to have with all of you, I think I was trying too hard. And I think I was trying to be somebody I'm not. I am somebody who talks very casually. I am somebody who talks in a way that's more relatable than clinical and specific. And I think somehow I got in my head that this material is so important that I have to present it differently. But when I went back and I listened to those first two episodes, I'm super critical of myself. If the sound doesn't sound as good as I want, I thought I was repeating myself entirely too often. I worried that I wasn't being clear. And all of those little, you know, sort of mind gremlins got in my head, had me second guessing myself. And when I chased the tale about why do I want to like erase these episodes? Why am I so focused on getting the right sound and the right this and the right that. Like I was never like this before. And it's just because this is really important to me and I want to do it right. And I want to earn your trust. And I want this show to become something that you can rely on for good information, for guidance in a way that doesn't re-traumatize you and doesn't overwhelm you. But when I have a therapy client in front of me, and I get misunderstood or I say something that isn't clear, I can get a quick read on that. I have a telehealth therapy practice. My clients are based in Massachusetts, even though I myself live in California. There's a whole story there, but we don't have to go there. So I can see their face right across the screen from me right away, and I can know I'm understood or I can know I'm misunderstood. Not having that from a listening audience here about something that is so specific and so clinical, I think I started to worry that I had to be super clear and I had to be super detail-oriented. And I created all of these stories and narratives for how I was supposed to show up for you rather than just trusting that I could show up as myself and that would be enough. Because as you listen to this episode, that is the exact skill set I'm going to be working with you on. 
recognizing that building a better relationship with yourself means showing up and really knowing and owning and believing that you are enough. A lot of you are coming to this with parts of yourself that feel really good and connected and glued in and tight and on point. You know that they're there and they feel good. But there's other parts of you that perhaps you're disconnected from, unclear about, unsure about, because it all got messy in your self story, like the story you have about yourself as a result of having the kind of relationship with your mom and the kind of experiences and childhood that you've had with your mom. And so in today's episode, I want to break it down for you, how to have a better relationship with yourself. This is, again, detail-oriented and a little bit clinical, but I've created a download for all of you that I'm going to do that will serve hopefully as like maybe like a journal entry or a worksheet or a prompt, just something that helps you organize the material so that I can just talk, <laughs> which is my skill set, and you can just listen and I don't have to get so in the weeds about being super clear on the mic and making sure that I say all the things and do all the things because I will know and feel confident that if you want to take this conversation further with yourself, you will be able to guide yourself through it through this worksheet. The link for that is going to be bit.ly forward slash mother mayhem three because this is our third episode. I will remind you of that link in the show notes and probably at the end of the episode but I just created that link. It's super shiny new, so might as well show it off right away. Let's dive into this and let's get clear on what it is that I'm talking about. If I'm talking to you about the idea that narcissistic abuse has impacted your relationship with yourself, and I'm identifying for you that a core component of narcissistic abuse recovery is improving your relationship with yourself, identifying the kind of relationship with yourself that you want to have or that you currently have, what's working, what's not. When I think about how to present this to you in a way that isn't super overwhelming and too generic, I came up with seven things that I think we should be looking at. I'm not going into a multi-hour episode here. It's my idea in presenting this initial material to you that I'm creating talking points for yourself where you can look at and check in with yourself about where you're at with each of these things. Because I really do believe it's true that until we have a better relationship with ourselves, we can't have better relationships with other people. I'm going to go through these one by one and talk about them in some depth. But to give you the lens to where we're going forward, we're going to be talking about self-awareness and what that means in terms of being aware of yourself in your body and in your mind and through your experience. I also want to talk to you about self-compassion, the self-talk, the dialogue you have and the conversations that you have with yourself and about yourself in your head self-reflection, self-identification, understanding, not just the parts of you that are true and immovable and are never going to change, but things about you that currently are true as a result of the way you were raised and how you've moved into the world and through the world thus far, but that you might want to change and set goals on. How do you come to a place of self-acceptance 
and recognizing that <laughs> no matter how hard you try, there's some things that are just never going to change about you and are always going to be true. Self-protection and self-care. Those are the seven things that we're going to be diving into and looking at. So these seven things, I organize them in this particular way because I do think one comes after the other. It won't always be that because we move through the world and we're, you know, we're like water, right? It's very fluid that some days our self-awareness is going to be something that's right on top of mind and we're going to be super aware of it. Other times, self-talk and the dialogue we're having with ourselves and the way we talk about ourselves, that will be the thing that feels the most prominent. But when we're thinking about narcissistic abuse recovery and how we heal from these disrupted childhood experiences, I do think it helps to have a little bit of order to it so that you can move in a way that feels a little more organized as you go forward and have this conversation. Because again, one of the things that becomes so overwhelming for a lot of people living with narcissistic abuse and learning how to survive it is that it feels all-encompassing. It's affecting your body. It's affecting the way you think and feel about yourself. It's affecting how you make decisions. And it's affecting your relationship with other people. And as a result, it can sometimes feel like there you don't know where to begin or you don't know where to start. And that oftentimes can be overwhelming enough that makes it so some people never even look and they don't have this conversation with themselves. But I believe if I can make it approachable and organized for all of you, you'll be able to pick the talking points that you need to hear and then you'll be able to pass on the rest. So let's break it down, starting with self-awareness. A lot of you are already coming to this show aware of the impact that your mom has had on the way you think about yourself and the way you move through the world. But one of the things that trauma often does is it disconnects you from total awareness because again, your brain is protecting you from things either in the past or in the present that you weren't or aren't ready to see or to look at. And when we're talking about helping you have a better relationship with yourself, we have to help you learn to identify what is it that you're actually thinking? What is it that you're actually feeling? What do you want and what do you need? And those for some people feel and seem like they should be simple questions and no brainers. But for a lot of you having this conversation with yourselves, you're like Julia Roberts in Runaway Bride in that scene with Richard Gere. You don't even know how you like your eggs because you are so used to liking them one way with one person, not liking them with another person who wanted pancakes instead. You know, you did fried for one person or poached or scrambled but you never learned how you like your eggs. And obviously eggs here is an analogy, but I can talk to a lot of people and they can, you know, I had one client the other day actually who lost her patience with me because she's like, I don't know how I feel. You keep asking me how I feel. That's why I'm here. I'm not supposed to know how I feel. You're supposed to know how I feel because that is what gets broken and disconnected in your relationship with yourself is an awareness of what you're thinking, what you're feeling, how you move through the world, what impacts you in your decision making. 
So when we talk about improving your relationship with yourself, we're talking about taking time to really check in and to get curious with yourself. Sometimes people can ask you like, what's your favorite color? Or what's your favorite band? What are you binging on TV? What do you like? What don't you like? And those questions can be really easy to understand and to answer right away, but not for everybody. I can ask some of my clients, what's your favorite color? And they'll be like, oh, well, when I was a kid, I used to really like this. And <laughs> you know, now in adulthood, I don't really care so long as it's clean or whatever, but it's because you've stopped asking yourself the basic questions. So then when it becomes bigger things in life, what do you think about the way somebody just spoke to you? What do you think about this opportunity that's in front of you? How do you want to handle this particular obstacle that you've been handed? It's really hard to know that because you're not used to asking yourself that question. Usually what you're used to is what's the answer that's going to bring me the most peace? What's the answer that is going to cause the least amount of trauma and conflict? What's the answer that's going to get me out of trouble or out of the way from my mom? Because again, if you think about, you know, remember what I said in the last episode about how trauma impacts our brain, we have experiences that we react to. So if you think back in that episode, I talked to you about the little girl on the jungle gym. If that little girl knows that every time she gets dirty, she gets yelled at. If that little girl knows that every time she scrapes her knee, her mother gets irritated with her, she starts moving through the world in a way so that she never gets dirty and never gets in trouble. That builds habits around never choosing the thing that she really wants to do, but choosing the thing that feels like it's going to be the safest and least risky. So that little girl grows up and somebody says, hey, we have all day Saturday. What do you want to do? That little girl isn't trained in thinking and looking at a playground of all the toys and all the games that she could possibly choose and choosing the one she wants. She is used to trying to guess and get into her mother's head about the one that her mother would want her to choose and choose that. Self-awareness, learning what it is you like, what your preferences are, how you tend to move in relationships with other people, that isn't going to come easily or naturally to you because your lens is so trained to focus on other people, how other people are responding to whatever's going on in the room, what other people might like. You would be trained, for example, to look at their body language or to try to get in their heads about what they would think and what they would prefer. And to, to do that would be to avoid conflict. But then as a result, you don't know yourself. It'll feel like for a lot of people coming to see me, for a lot of the women, it'll feel like you don't know your own mind because you're so used to picking what the kids would want or what your husband would want or you know, what your best friend would choose and you're, you're not used to choosing for yourself. So when we engage in self-awareness exercises, we're going as basic as how do you like your eggs, but also what's your preferred time of getting up in the morning? When are you your most productive? What helps you set your day up for success? What makes it so you're low energy and sluggish? What do you need to be your best self? What are your preferences? How can people interact with you in a way that feels safe and secure and easy and natural so that you can relax into those relationships and into those conversations? 
Self-awareness is about being curious about yourself and asking yourself questions, tuning into yourself and saying, well, I just read that book. Did I like it? Do I like reading memoirs? Do I prefer comedy? Would I rather fiction? Do I like historical fiction? What do I feel about science fiction? All of those things is just looking at the choices you're making, the way you move through the world, how you show up in relationship with other people, and what your preferences and natural instincts are. Recognizing that sometimes those natural instincts, they're going to be self-protective. They're not actually what you want. They're the things you think will be the path of least resistance. So the more you really ask yourself these questions and get curious, why did I do this? Why did I choose this? How do I feel about this? I started this. Did it work? Do I like it? Do I not like it? And looking at that, you will start to understand yourself a little bit better. Once you move through self-awareness and have an idea of how you move through the world and what your preferences are, it's largely going to become likely that you need to start focusing on self-compassion because you're going to be like, wow, I don't even like eggs. And I've been making eggs three times a week for this long or holy smokes. I don't like watching shows that are particularly tense or frightful, but I don't say anything because I know my husband likes watching them. Or I don't do this because my kids don't prefer to, but I would rather. You start to notice all of the ways that you've made yourself smaller or less than. Maybe you've noticed as a result of asking yourself those questions how you've kept yourself separate from other people. You might notice how you don't show up in relationships or you don't show up for yourself in a way that you would want your best friend to do it. And when that hits, oftentimes that gets connected to the shame spiral of all the coulda, shoulda, wouldas. Other people would be more resilient. Other people wouldn't get upset and reactive to the things that I get upset and reactive to. This wouldn't bother other people or other people would be over it by now. Creating narratives around why you're having a hard time in a way that you don't think other women or other people going through things would be having a hard time. Practicing self-compassion. One of the best ways that I recently heard this um, was in a podcast by Brene Brown. And it, actually, I think it was in her last two episodes of her Unlocking Us podcast. She discontinued that podcast recently. But I do believe if you go to it, the last two episodes talk about this. And it's the idea of understanding that we all do the best we can with the tools we have at the time. So as a child navigating your mom, you did the absolute best you could with the tools you had at the time. And in young adulthood and in adulthood now, as you listen to this show, you have made decisions and you have moved through the world and shown up for yourself. And the best way you knew how with the tools that you had at the time. Now that you're starting to have this conversation with yourself and you found this podcast, and I know this podcast isn't the only resource you're using, so the books and the coaches and the mentors and the conversations you're having with other people, you can start to see and collect 
an understanding of how you came to be this way. And if you need some help going back to that last episode where I outlined childhood trauma and its impact on adulthood would be a really good place to start. Because understanding that your experiences shaped the stories you have about yourself, shaped the rules and decisions you made for yourself and your life, and recognizing that they're connected indelibly to how you got here, but also recognizing that if you don't want that to be true for you, that you can shift and move it and change it. But before you get to the change process of, I don't like the way I do this, I would rather do that, we have to show compassion and understanding for the person you were when you made that decision because she was surviving a whole heck of a lot. One of the best examples that I have for this, and this is an exercise that I encourage you to do, and I'll have it on that journal sheet for you as well, is how do we start to build self-compassion, right? Because this isn't the kind of conversation where you can sit and listen to a podcast episode and then be like, wow, that Heather, she really taught me. I feel so much more self-compassionate now, right? I'm just, I'd like to think I am, but I'm just not that good. It's like self-esteem. We can't come to therapy and talk about things and suddenly miraculously feel better about yourself. You have to do things that help you feel better about yourself. It's the same thing with self-compassion. So one of the things that I would encourage you to do and to build a daily habit of, not just as you listen to this episode, but for weeks and months ahead, if you could find a picture of yourself, your younger self, I like to go somewhere between the ages of three and seven, the formative early childhood years. And you start to look at that little girl. One of the things we're going to be talking about when we talk about narcissistic abuse recovery is the idea that one of the challenges you all are going to have is reparenting yourself, giving yourself the tools and the things you needed, the compassion, the nurturance, the self-acceptance that you didn't get as kids. One of the best ways to start that reparenting conversation and that start that process of meeting unmet needs is to grab a picture of you when you were younger and carry that picture around with you physically on your person. So have it in your pocket, have it in your wallet, take a picture of it and have it on your home screen of your phone, but keep that picture with you. So you can start thinking about, as you move through the world, how you treat yourself in the present day, the language you use, the decisions you make, how you show up for yourself, how you show up with other people. Think about the choices you're making and if they feel good for that three, four, five, six, or seven-year-old. And if they don't feel like choices you want for that little girl, because you want more for her and you want better for her, it's a really good way to help you start making decisions that take better care of her. Because it's hard in your 33-year-old body to see why you need self-compassion, because your 33-year-old self knows the news, knows how hard it is for other people, knows problems that other people are having, and it's so easy to talk yourself out of 
out of the idea that your problems matter or that they're important. But you wouldn't ever say that to a six-year-old little girl. You would never say like, this isn't that big of a deal, get over it. You would be showing compassion for that little girl. So if you can get in the habit of taking better care of that six-year-old that you're bringing around with you, you by default and without even realizing it, start to make decisions that take better care of you in the present day. That's a really good self-compassion habit that you can start to build for yourself. As a result of being more self-aware and more self-compassionate, you're going to start to notice the dialogue you have in your head. I walked you through the dialogue that I was having in my head about the start of the show at the start of this episode. I had all of these ideas about what a good clinical content show would be, what organized, structured material would look like. But I am not an organized, structured <laughs> material person. Those words aren't how I think about this. And so as a result of creating the story that I needed to be different in order to be good, I then am telling myself that I'm not good as I am. But the reality is, is I've been specializing in mother-daughter relationships. I've been talking about mother-daughter relationships since my school days, like talking to my teenage friends about this and then talking about it with friends in college until it, it became something of a more professional passion of mine. I know my stuff and I needed to have that conversation with myself in order to recognize that the dialogue I had been having with myself up until this point wasn't healthy. It wasn't making my show better. It was probably for those, some of you are going to listen to this and know me and be like, you know, will, will the real Heather show up? A friend did listen to it and she said, oh, I heard you show up at the end of that first episode a little bit. And I, you know, it was a good call out. But that dialogue that we have, we have to start bringing that to the surface and noticing it. And so paying attention to how you think about yourself when you're in the shower washing up, how you think about yourself when you're in the car doing a commute or driving for soccer pickup, or as you're about to take a chance or do something new, how are you talking to yourself about it? When you make a mistake, what's the dialogue you have? I'm trying something new here. I'm only two episodes in and I was already beating myself up quite a bit. And I haven't even hit publish on this thing yet because it's really important that I release a bunch of these episodes out right away for those of you who, you know, want to dive in and get to it. So I was already creating this super critical narrative for something that isn't even out in the world yet. Once you notice the dialogue you're having and you have that little girl in your pocket, you can think of, would I say that to her? Would that be true for her? Do I want her to think that about herself? If I think about the idea that that seven-year-old little girl is going to grow up to become a 16-year-old girl, a 26-year-old woman, a 46-year-old woman, a 56-year-old woman who thinks this about herself, how do I feel about that? Am I okay with it? Am I willing to live with it? Paying attention to the dialogue, looking at how you talk to yourself is one of the key ways you can start having a better relationship with yourself today. And a good way to get out of that critical habit that you're in is to just say, what would I want the story of the seven-year-old girl to have about herself? And you start telling yourself that story. 
Now, if you're looking at having a better relationship with yourself and looking at who you are, how you move through the world, I'm talking about the inner critic and self-talk, but there's also things that we'll notice about ourselves when we're doing this work and having these conversations that we honestly don't like and don't want to be true about ourselves because it's we don't want it to be true for that seven-year-old little girl, so we don't want it to be true about ourselves. So how do we look at who we are, the choices we've made, and not just beat ourselves up, but look at what about this doesn't work for me? What about this doesn't suit me? What do I need to change in order for me to like this part of myself more? So it is about self-reflection or self-accountability. I didn't know I was I was really on a roll, guys, with <laughs> six things starting with the word self. And then this one I was like, I don't really know what to call this, but I like having seven things that start with self. Um, so I, I landed on self-reflection, but it could be goal setting. It could be accountability, but it's looking at the things about you when you get a closer look at them that you do kind of think are true about that seven-year-old girl, that she doesn't speak up in a meeting, or when someone hurts her feelings, she doesn't tell anybody, that she is saying yes when she should say no, that she didn't really do the things she wanted, she didn't say the things she thought. All of the things that you would notice would be true about that little girl you're walking around with and that you want more for her you start to hold accountability with yourself. She's not taking care of her body in the way that I want her to. She's not taking care of her heart and her emotional wellness. She's not looking after her family or, you know, that so many people have so many different goals. I'm sitting here trying to land on everybody's. I'm never going to. So I think I'll land on the point that I think you know what I'm talking about when I say this. But the parts of you that aren't working for who you are and you would like to be different, then you can start setting goals and having personal accountability around those. But you can't do that until you're aware of yourself, have been compassionate, and have changed that dialogue you have with yourself and that conversation you have with yourself. That's why it's not at the top of the list. And that's why I am really trying to be a little bit more ordered and specific in this conversation so that it challenges you to be kind to yourself before you put all of this pressure on yourself to change or to be different. Now, the spirit of transparent communication, I really went back and forth when I was thinking about how I wanted to present this conversation to all of you. You know, where I landed on self-acceptance being first versus self-reflection and self-accountability. And I, I really think that if we're going to be honest about how most of us move through the world, we're going to do these self-examinations and we're going to look at ourselves and ask ourselves these really hard questions and have these really hard conversations with ourselves. And the things that we love about ourselves are not going to be the first things that jump top of mind. What's really going to stick out is the areas where we feel less than, where we're not showing up for ourselves, particularly if we're carrying around that little picture of that little girl, we're going to want more for her. And we're instantly, hopefully at some point, going to want more for ourselves in the present day. And it felt disingenuous, kind of like, you know, toxic positivity to be like, okay, be self-aware, be self-compassionate, talk about yourself in a really nice way, and then accept yourself. 
because if it were that easy, you know, y'all wouldn't need this podcast or the show wouldn't need to exist. It's not easy because trauma impacts the ways we develop, which means trauma impacts the way we show up in the world. And we sometimes choose ways of interacting with people or showing up for ourselves that don't feel good for us, that we're not proud of, that we can't sort of lay claim to any kind of confidence because we wouldn't that want that seven-year-old little girl to, to lay claim to it with any amount of confidence. I started with change first because I think that's realistic and that's true for a lot of us. However, it doesn't work to set goals without some kind of core understanding of who we are and how we move through the world. And again, this part was not planned, but I think I've kind of modeled that for you in how I've started the show and how I started this particular episode. I really wish I was somebody who was a little bit more like a professor who spoke with more clinical jargon and in a way that was more organized and structured and used the word like more, even though my handy dandy editor does a really good job of eliminating some of those ums and likes for me. I'm just not that girl. And also too, I like who I am as a therapist. I think I'm pretty good at my job and sort of telling myself a story that I needed to be different because I was doing a podcast because not everyone would know me and know my intent and get in my head about that. That really gets in the way of the fact that one of my superpowers is my emotional intelligence, understanding people and how to talk to them. And when I try to be somebody else, I talk to them as if I'm somebody else and I could kind of feel in my body, actually, if I'm being really honest with you, I could feel in my body that as a result of trying to be someone else, I wasn't understanding myself and how I show up, but I wasn't communicating understanding for all of you because I was way more focused on, will you like me? Will you like the show? Am I any good? And so recognizing that I didn't do it well that I, you know, the sound is messy, that I, you know, sound a little fake and forced, that I was entirely too scripted in those two episodes. I had to decide and set a goal to change that. This episode that I'm doing has zero script. It has six, uh, seven bullet points, <laughs> the seven things I'm talking about, and that's it. And that was my new goal because I reminded myself and then came to accept about myself that that's the kind of podcast host I'm going to be. And in order for my people to find me, I have to be me. And looking at that self-acceptance sort of process, hopefully, you know, I haven't beaten a dead horse to death here, but you can kind of get what that means and what it would look like for you. Recognizing that you didn't say what you think, that you didn't speak up, you didn't show up in a way you want to, and you want to start doing that differently, but also recognizing certain things that are true about you. If you're somebody who's forcing herself to be really social with her friends because everybody likes going out super late to super loud places, but you're more of a coffee shop girl with one girlfriend kind of girl, and you don't like doing social things in large crowds, and you find yourself constantly turning yourself into somebody else to be what you think your friends might like or what other, you know, what the sort of standard is for adults in the present day or adult women in the present day then recognizing that your preferences are different. Your way of moving through the world is different as a result of how you were raised and the stories you've come to learn about yourself and the experiences you've had. And not all of this is trauma-informed. Some of it is simply life-informed. But when you know that you are 
sort of tuning into your preferences and knowing that you're self-aware of what sets you up for success, what sets you up for failure, hopefully you're better for yourself and it allows you to be better for everyone around you. Hopefully <laughs> you're listening to this episode and if you've never met me before, you're like, oh, there she is. I hope you're listening to this episode and finding it better because, and if you're not, then it's probably not the show for you because I could tell you I'm sitting a little bit more comfortably in my chair. I'm talking with more ease. I feel more confident in the material and I'm enjoying this conversation a little bit more than I enjoyed those first two conversations because I have the belief that my people will find me, that what is meant for me will not miss me. And that comes from a lot of practice at self-acceptance. So pay attention to the things about you that even if you wish they weren't true, you're an introvert, but you wish you were extroverted. You like to go to bed early. You like to stay home more than you like to go out. Whatever the things are about you that you kind of wish weren't true, but no matter how many times you try to change your stripes, they don't change. Then you can start to accept those things about yourself and then move through the world accordingly so that you're setting yourself up for success. You're not constantly pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone at all times. Sometimes you're going to because you want something more than you're afraid of it, but you're going to lean into who you are and what you need to be your best self for yourself. And that helps you be your best self for other people. And then once you kind of know yourself a little bit and you accept these things about yourself, it's easier to become self-protective. We can't talk in narcissistic abuse recovery at any length or for any amount of time without talking about boundary setting. It's going to be its own podcast episode. It's a theme that comes across so many different podcast episodes through so many different conversations. Hopefully, if <laughs> this thing all goes well and we have multiple conversations down the line, it will be, right? But it's the idea that like, once you know yourself and own yourself, it's easier to protect yourself because you want to keep what's good. You start to see that the line between where you end and someone else begins needs to be finite and deliberate and specific. And when you like yourself more, you're more willing to protect yourself and you're not willing to lose all of the good you've accumulated for yourself. You're not willing to compromise yourself for other people. You're not willing to bend and to acquiesce and to lean into people pleasing or conflict avoidance or having no boundaries and letting people walk over you. Because once you know yourself and your worth and how you're standing up for yourself and what you deserve, and especially, especially with that seven-year-old little girl you're carrying around in your pocket, likes and needs and prefers, you're going to protect her because you're going to start to see as you protect her more and as you make those decisions for yourself more, you're moving through the world with more confidence, more grace, and you're better for everyone. You're better for yourself and you're better for those around you. Boundary setting will become something that's easier once you do those first couple of things that we're talking about here. And then once you protect yourself and you know yourself and you know what you're working on, but you know what you like and you don't like and you've done all this thing, then we got to take care of yourself, right? The self-care industry <laughs> makes me laugh a lot. I, I think sometimes self-care is a misinterpreted word, an overused word. 
each of these things likely will be their own podcast episodes down the line because it has to be instructive and it has to be clear for the the sake of this conversation, introducing the topic to you, helping you create awareness around this. What I'm talking about is once you like yourself a little bit more and once you've accepted yourself a little bit more and you've learned to become protective, you're going to learn to take care of yourself to get your needs met. That if you're somebody who gets tired early, you're going to go to bed early. If you're somebody who really enjoys, um, like myself, a good cup of coffee to start your day, you're going to make sure that you have the coffee in the house and you're not going to acquiesce to tea, even if other people in the house like tea. You are going to do the things that nurture yourself to take care of yourself because you don't want to be and feel like you did before you started the narcissistic abuse recovery work for yourself. Good self-care means instilling habits of regularly and consistently doing things that create deposits for yourself of energy, deposits of yourself for nurturance and compassion and love and time and space and all of those things. Again, that's going to be its own episode down the line. But I do think that this conversation is a good you know, benchmark to ask yourself, when was the last time I did something that I really liked just for me? Stupid, dumb example. You'll hear about it at some point, so I'll introduce you to my dog now. But my dog is uh, fear aggressive. He's super high maintenance, super anxious. He's even on people meds for anxiety. And he, he needs a lot of special things. And one of the things he needs is a walk separate of our neighborhood. That if I were to walk him every single gosh darn day in our neighborhood, it would always be tense and it would always be stressed because he's highly reactive to new people and to sounds and to other dogs. So I take him a ways away from our house. It's about a probably a 15-minute drive every day. And then I spend 35, 40 minutes with him at the park and 15 minutes driving back. And I do this every day to give him exercise and, and to give him time out of the house. And California has been particularly rainy these days. You know, rain, rain or shine, I've been doing these walks uh, on most days. And on Sunday, I woke up kind of feeling off, not for any particular reason. Maybe hormones were involved. Actually, I would guess that hormones were probably involved, but it was overcast and gray. And I just didn't want to go to the park on Sunday. I didn't want to do it. And I was all dressed and ready to go and had the leash in the hand. And I was like, you know what, buddy? This is actually not going to take care of me today. Like, I could force this because this is what you really need. But you're going to be okay if you miss the park for a day. I don't need to go out. And before Riley, I used to spend Sunday mornings watching the Golden Girls and Flea Market Flip. And going back and forth between those two shows and just sort of numbing out to dumb stupid tv and laughing and seeing what creative people make even though there is always always a bar cart <laughs> and flea market flip when it comes to that show always always a bar cart i always wanted a challenge where they had to do something that wasn't a bar cart but i spent sunday morning with really good coffee going back and forth between the two shows gave my dog a chew made sure he got out into the yard to do his business and took care of me. Something so stupid and dumb. But if you start increasing the stupid and dumb things you're doing for yourself and increasing that awareness of, oh, I'm about to do something that drains my energy, or I've consistently been giving up this thing that I really like and that I enjoy because it doesn't work for the people around me, 
where I've been making this choice and it's taking a, you know, it's been a compromise at this point for me. And you start recognizing ways that you have been giving yourself away without replacing it. You're taking all these deductions out, right? Like as we get to know each other more, you'll you'll learn about my emotional bank account example and analogy that I use with folks. But basically we're making deposits into who we are and how we want to move through our world and the energy we have for things. And then life comes along or decisions make, you know, get made and we take deductions on those. When I'm talking to you about self-care, I'm talking to you about the things that are actually deposits for you. If you're not somebody who likes getting her nails done, then don't make a self-care day at the spa the thing. If you hate massages because you don't particularly like being touched, don't sign up for a massage just because that's what people call self-care. But think about the things that you really like that bring you pleasure and joy. One of my guilty pleasures is I'll have what Phil's having on Netflix. So when I'm particularly down or sad or have the moody blues or whatever it is, I have favorite episodes and favorite countries of mine that he's gone to and I'll, they're like my, what I call self-control strategies. And they're the ways that I'll calm down and nurture myself because I like seeing new places and travel documentaries and foodie shows. And I really like Phil. It's hard to be in a bad mood around Phil. So when I need comfort and a little self-soothing, that's where I go. I didn't know that off the top of my head. I had to learn like, oh, I really like that Lisbon episode. By the way, Lisbon in Italy with Phil, the absolute best. But the, that really makes me feel better. I, I feel better after I watch a Phil episode and I start to notice that and create self-awareness around it. So then I know that on an off day or when I'm feeling overly critical of myself, I can distract myself with a Phil episode. When you start paying attention to yourself in the way that I've guided you to do in this podcast episode, you will know the things that feel good and comforting for you, the things that cheer you up, the things that give your body rest, the things that nurture you, give you energy, replenish energy, and you start to notice and collect those things. And then when you're feeling off and not so like yourself, you're able to do a check-in with yourself I have all these things that I've come to collect that I do like. It's been a while since I've done any of them. I'm currently feeling like crap. I should probably start doing them. And for those of you who come to this show and you're like, self-care, like everybody talks about it. I don't get it. I don't know what it is. I wouldn't know where to begin. It starts with being curious. And usually it involves asking people what they do for self-care or thinking like, what are the things that you do like to do? If you had all the time in the world, what's something you could do and lose track of time doing? What is something that you find yourself thinking about or researching or learning about? Where does your curiosity go when your mind wanders? But you start to pay attention to where your interests go when not otherwise occupied. And you, you start putting yourself in that direction and heading in that direction and using those things that nurture you, that support the way you want to move through the world and help you be more consistent in doing that. Just to kind of recap here, we've talked a lot about your relationship with yourself and hopefully I've covered it sufficiently across all the different angles. I know this particular episode has been a little short on the how-to uh, because I don't think we can get to how to until we're clear on what we're talking about. 
because then it's going to be how do we decrease people pleasing? How do we start setting boundaries? How do we start having hard conversations? But until we talk about the basic umbrella of these things and help you know yourself a little bit more and what makes you tick and your tendencies, you're not going to know what it is you need when I'm teaching you those episodes and having those conversations with you. So we're helping you today have a better relationship with yourself through self-awareness, self-compassion, better self-talk, more pointed and compassionate self-reflection or goal-setting, self-acceptance, self-protection through boundaries, and self-care. I'm going to create a little downloadable uh, journal reflection worksheet for all of you that you will be able to download. The link is going to be in the show notes, but if you need it now, it's bit.ly forward slash mother mayhem three. Thank you so much for joining me uh, today on this episode. I'm really going to want to know what you think about it, especially because I've worked so hard to show up as myself and be authentic and talk off script. So I would love to know how that felt for you, how you received it, if it worked for you, and yeah, and just generally what you think. If you have a comment or a question about the show, I really do want you to send it my way. Heather at daughtersnpd.com is the way to find me. That email address is also going to be in the show notes for you. You're welcome to attach a voice memo with your comment or question. You're more than welcome to do it. In fact, I would love it if you did it. Because, you know, here's the thing. As you begin to know and trust me more, I'm really hoping that you're going to write in with your own stories, experiences, and questions that you want to share on the show. I'll keep everything anonymous unless you don't want me to because I think sometimes speaking our truth and attaching our name to it also has value. However you want to show up on my show is how I would want you to show up for yourself. Because here's the thing, my dream for this show is that it becomes something that's so much more about you and your needs and your questions and your concerns than it is about me. We can partner together and make this an advice show where you're the expert on you and I offer my trauma and recovery experience as along with my expertise and mother-daughter relationships. And together, I really do think we can build a community of daughters joining together to recover from narcissistic abuse. I really appreciate you tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow it on your favorite podcast app. If you know another woman who needs this show and its conversation in her life, I really do hope you'll consider sharing it with her. Your feedback's going to help me build the show into what we need it to be. I'd really sincerely, truly love to hear from you. You can also find me and connect with me over on Instagram at DaughtersNPD. Until next time, take care of you and know that I'm in it with you. Thanks for listening to Mother Mayhem. Bye for now.